As we worship the Lord this evening, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who has made heaven and earth, who keeps truth forever, and who never forsakes the work of his own hands. Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll sing in worship to God, Psalter 210, verses 1 and 5, 210, 1 and 5. <clears throat> Please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Luke, chapter 13, we'll read verses 10 through 17. Luke 13, 10 through 17. And he, that is Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. May God bless the reading of his holy and precious word. Several announcements. First, the funeral for Lori Thomas will be held here at the church on 
Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Visiting hours will be Friday evening from 5 to 8 at the funeral home. That's uh, Heritage Life Story Funeral Home on 1833 Plainfield Ave. So that's Friday, 5 through 8, at the funeral home. And then visitation on Saturday from 10 to 11 at the church, directly before the funeral. And the graveside will be 1.45 in the afternoon on Saturday. Also a reminder that if you, uh, or we encourage you to sign, <coughs> sign up for the prayer to end abortion in front of the abortion clinic, on Fulton Street. Uh, Marty and Rolly Fossey will be available in the narthexes after the service, so you can sign up there uh, to, to uh, find a slot to pray on a given day in the next few weeks. In prayer tonight, we'll remember Nathan Rulofs and his wife, Brooke, and their children. Nathan will be undergoing uh, triple bypass surgery on Friday. So we'll remember him and his family in this great need. And also we'll give thanks that uh, Sue DeVries could be with us after her hip surgery. She could be with us this evening. Let us seek God's face now. Compassionate Father, compassionate Son, compassionate Spirit, we bow in thy presence this evening, thankful that thou hast called us into thy presence. Thou dost give us an oasis in the middle of the desert to come away, to steal away, to hear thy voice to us, a voice of comfort, a voice of compassion, a voice of power, a voice of healing a voice that makes the crooked straight. And Lord, we come before Thee this evening as crooked sinners with a great need to be made straight again. As we come, Lord, before communion, we are reminded that we carry burdens of sin, burdens of fear, burdens of doubt that bow us down so that we do not serve Thee as we ought. And Lord, we come tonight with these burdens bowed down, bowed down under the temptations of the evil one, having listened and even succumbed to the lies of the devil, of the deceiver. How we need Thy voice of truth this evening to speak to our souls. And so, Lord, speak that those who are thine this evening would be comforted and strengthened, that those who are struggling in faith would be built up through thy word, through the gospel, that once again we would see that our hope is in none other than Christ alone, the one who has all power in heaven and in earth, the one who has subdued our sin in the cross, the one who has subdued Satan and will tread him under his feet shortly. Lord, we pray that thou wilt hasten that day when sin will be no more, when Satan will be forever cast into the lake of fire, never to rear his head again, to bother and to trouble thy people. And so, Lord, we pray that as we prepare our hearts for communion, our troubled hearts would be strengthened. And instead of conflict of soul, we would be comforted and brought again to the one who is our righteousness, the ones whose pierced hands speak to us of mercy and of grace, those pierced hands that hold power and love and grace for those sinners who come running to find mercy. We'd be reminded again tonight that Thou art a Savior who receives sinners, who eats with sinners, that Thou dost turn none away who come seeking salvation outside of themselves. 
in Christ alone. Lord, we pray that questions would cease, that fears would flee away, that doubts would dissipate, that Christ would be all in all. We pray for children and young people tonight as well as they listen, as they hear thy word. Lord, speak to them, work in their hearts, that those who already know thee would be turned and be strengthened, that those who do not know thee would be turned and, and be saved. Lord, we pray that thou wilt work with thy Holy Spirit tonight. Thou knowest the condition of each soul here and our need. That thou wilt make the crooked straight and the rough places plain. And Lord, we do pray for the needs of the flock. And we pray in particular for, for Nate Ruloffs as he will have triple bypass surgery on Friday. Be with him and his wife Brooke and their children that thou wilt be their refuge and strength in time of trouble, that they would know thy hand of mercy upon them, thy hand of healing upon them. Lord, bring him through surgery well. See, he has to undergo this surgery at a, at a young age. Lord, we pray that thou wilt preserve his life for his wife and family. We do thank thee, Lord, for Sue DeVries' presence with us, after surgery last week, we rejoice in what thou hast done for her in giving her strength to come tonight to sit under the means of grace. Lord, bless her and Henry. Bless each one of us, Lord, as we hear thy word. Be with those listening at home who are not limited to, to, to place, thou art everywhere present. So let thy word go forth with power, convicting. But we pray tonight especially for comforting. And Lord, we pray that thou wilt hear us, that thou wilt graciously forgive our sins, blot them out, Lord, in thy tender mercy. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We'll sing Psalter 280, verses 1 and 2, while you have opportunity to give of your gifts for the service of the Lord. 280, 1 and 2. Our text in preparation for communion on Sunday comes from Luke 13, the passage that we read, verses 10 through 17. Well, a time of self-examination and preparation for communion 
can often be a time of spiritual angst or anxiety, a time of questioning, a time of looking inwards, of being unsettled, of not finding anything there that will settle us, because all we find is sin. It can be a time of a heightened sense of our own sinfulness, of our need. We discover anew our crookedness. It can be a time of spiritual striving with the devil as he comes, tries to get us to focus entirely on ourselves and not on Christ. The devil either wants us to be lifted up with pride at our own spiritual accomplishments, or he wants us to be so downcast that we are hopeless and not find what we need in Christ. What we need tonight, then, is a view of Christ that reminds sinners of who He is, that reminds sinners of His compassionate power. So through His Word tonight, Jesus reminds us that He makes the crooked straight, both literally and spiritually. This is for our encouragement tonight to look to Jesus, to lean on Him for His help, to come to Him afresh, or for the very first time tonight, ahead of communion, that we would find our life, our hope, and even our joy tonight in Jesus. Our theme tonight is this, Jesus makes the crooked straight. In the first place, we see a pitiful condition. Jesus is teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath. As He's doing that, Luke introduces us to a woman in a pitiful condition. In verse 11, we read these words, And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years and was, was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. Children, maybe you get a mental picture of what this looked like. It doesn't specify whether she's an old woman or a young woman, just that she was bowed over for 18 years, stiff, seized up, couldn't lift up herself, straighten up herself. It's a pitiful sight, isn't it? Her pitiful condition is evidenced in an assaulted spirit. It wasn't just that she was bowed over physically. No, Luke describes her as a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, a weak spirit. What is that sort of spirit? She was likely under the influence of dark, hellish forces that kept her in spiritual bondage. This becomes clear from Jesus' own words in verse 16, where He describes her as one whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, a a spirit of infirmity being bound by Satan, gives us a picture of someone who has been assaulted by the, the powers of darkness. What did that bondage look like for her? We don't know exactly but it could be the very bondage of legalism within the context. As the ruler of the synagogue stands up and and chides the people not to be healed on the Sabbath day, laying his burden of legalism on the people, it could very well be that this woman was, was assaulted with a burden of legalism for 18 years, not seeing clearly who Jesus was. weak spirit. You see, such bondage imposes the laws of man in the place of God, of the law of God. We heard that Sunday evening, didn't we? The 600 or so laws that the Jews had created, laying that on the people, burdening burdening them so they failed to see the grace of the law, that they failed to see the God behind the law. 
They missed the heart of the law, love for God and love for neighbor. Such bondage of legalism imposes outward conformity. You keep the law and you're in. It calls for perfection without grace. It calls for perfection that we can never, ever attain in our own strength. Such a spirit assaults the soul. It binds the sensitive and weak souls that they live in constant fear and doubt as to the possibility of salvation because they can never measure up to man-made standards. It blinds the soul to the need for grace because it's constantly settling for works, for, for, for what you can do before God rather than resting in the finished work of Christ. You see, Satan exploits such a spirit to weaken and to keep a soul from Christ, the one who provides freedom and grace. So this woman was in a pitiful condition, likely under a spirit of bondage that Satan exploited to keep her in that bondage for 18 years. Her pitiful condition is evidenced in a crooked body. No doubt her spiritual condition of, of being in bondage to Satan affects the condition of her body. Luke the physician describes her this way. She was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. Her body is so bowed and seized that she could not even straighten herself at all in a constant state of looking down, of being bowed down. A weak spirit, a weak body. This woman presents the picture of helplessness, of hopelessness. What we have here is a spiritual picture of abject helplessness and powerlessness and inability to help oneself. In bondage to Satan, weak in spirit, impotent, and bowed down in body, a spiritual reflection here of human nature, of the human condition apart from Christ. Does this describe you tonight? With stunning accuracy. A weak spirit bowed by sin, bowed down and burdened perhaps under a legal spirit tonight, trying to earn your way to God, realizing that you can never do it, ending in hopelessness, ending in helplessness, bowed down, not being able to lift yourself up from the pit, unable to lift yourself out of spiritual darkness and bondage. And as you prepare for communion or you try to prepare, you're trying to find your hope and your righteousness in yourself, and you can't lift yourself out of the darkness, the stubborn darkness that remains, the bondage, the chains that tie you there, unable to deal with sin yourself, unable to straighten your own crookedness. And yet, despite this pitiful condition, what do we read of this woman? She's in the synagogue, isn't she? She's under the God-appointed means, under the Word of God at that time. Perhaps she's heard of Jesus. Her condition doesn't prevent her from coming. In fact, her need compels her to come to the place where the Savior will have compassion on her. She's drawn there powerfully. She, she places herself under the means of grace, for this is her lifeline. Here's instruction for those who, who are struggling with such a pitiful condition tonight. Those who are hopeless and helpless in themselves, where are you turning in your pitiful condition tonight? Whether you're a child or a young person, middle-aged or older, where do your struggles bring you? Where does your condition of sin and unbelief and doubt and fear and anxiety and questioning, where does that bring you tonight? 
Presumably it brought you here because you needed to hear the voice of Christ to your soul. Certainly not to self-help. Certainly not falling back onto this pattern of thought and of doing if I can only do this right, if I can only get, get this feeling and this experience. No. Where will you place yourself now? Will you place yourself under the word of Jesus? Under the word of a powerfully compassionate Savior like this woman does? That's our second thought. As we see this pitiful condition Over against that pitiful condition, we see a powerful compassion. In verse 12, we see compassion radiating from the Savior as He teaches. He's not unaware of His audience. That compassion is radiated through a compassionate look, that power that Jesus has. And in verse 12, we read, and when Jesus saw her, Isn't that amazing? Jesus takes notice of this crooked, bowed down, bound up woman. He sees her. Just like he saw Matthew Sunday morning sitting at the receipt of custom. He sees this woman bowed down. Reaffirms to us tonight that Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's come to call the weak and the sick to repentance. He's come to heal in His compassion. He sees her. That's encouragement, isn't it? To those of you who are bowed down, He sees you this evening struggling mightily, bowed down with fear, bowed down with doubts, bowed down with anxiety, bowed down with sin. He knows that this week of preparation can often present more conflict in your soul than comfort for your soul. He takes notice, my friend that He can deal with you in powerful compassion. Jesus takes notice. He sees exactly who you are, where you are, and what you need. Does that not encourage your soul tonight? That there is one? That there is one who cares that there is one who sees, that there is one who lifts spiritual burdens in contrast to the deceiver who crushes with impossible burdens and isolates in order to destroy. Here is Jesus. He sees. He makes the crooked straight through a compassionate look. But that's not all. This compassion, this power is radiated through a compassionate word. Jesus doesn't just see, Jesus also speaks. Verse 12, He called her to Him and said to her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. She is beckoned by Jesus into His presence. She's drawn into the orbit of grace. In her crookedness, Jesus invites her. Isn't that what He does in the gospel? Isn't that what He does at the table on Sunday morning at communion? He invites sinners to the table of grace. Though this woman could not lift up herself, she comes because Jesus invites her to come. Just like Jesus commanded Matthew to come and to follow Him, He gave power to do so in that command. So He does in the invitation to this woman, she comes. And then He speaks. He speaks to her with powerful compassion to release her from her spiritual bondage. The chains that had bound her for two decades must fall at the sound of the Master's voice. Satan's power is broken, utterly broken by the Master's powerful compassion. Imagine what goes on in the mind of this woman, in the heart of this woman. Eighteen years of bondage. There's no hope for me. Eighteen years of crookedness. 
No hope that she would ever be released from this bondage. No hope that she would ever stand upright again. But Jesus says, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Loosed. Satan's death grip is broken by a simple word from the Savior. Is that, enough, is that not enough for you tonight, sinner? Is that not enough for you, the one who has bowed down with doubts and fears and anxiety and sin? One word from the lips of Jesus to destroy the power of the devil over your soul. Jesus' word is more powerful than your unbelief, than your sin, than your bondage. Perhaps this bondage has held you for a long time. You long to be rid of it. But it seems so hopeless. It seems so out of this world that Jesus could, could have mercy on you. But tonight the Savior speaks with powerful compassion. Man, woman, child, burdened with sin, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. One word is enough, my friend. There is power in his words by which the opposition must succumb and must give way to the powerful compassion of Jesus. Satan must release his hold even tonight, even now as the word goes forth. There is life, there is relief in the words of the Savior this evening. He makes the crooked straight through a compassionate word. But there's more. Jesus not only sees, Jesus not only speaks, but Jesus touches. Jesus, as it were, invades this woman's space. He sees her crooked and bowed down, and what does he do? He lays his hands on her. And immediately she is made straight, we read in verse 13. And she glorified God, lest we forget that. She was made straight and glorified God. Jesus releases from spiritual bondage. He releases from physical bondage so that we are left without a doubt that Jesus has the power to change who we are at the very root of our being. At the very heart of who we are, Jesus redeems. Bowed down and unable to straighten herself at all, Jesus' powerful hands bring healing to this crooked woman. The Creator of heaven and earth, puts his hands of mercy on the woman and she is made straight. A harbinger of things to come, my friend, where Jesus not only redeems the soul, but he redeems the body also when he will come and make all things new. He takes the burden of this woman's inability to lift herself and he straightens her crookedness. The physical is just buttressing what Jesus did in the spiritual realm to leave us without doubt as to his power. And so we bid you come with your crookedness tonight, with whatever it is that is bowing you down to know that he is powerful, to straighten whatever is crooked in your life. Jesus is the great straightener of sinners who come to him for mercy. So often we think we're too crooked to be made straight. You say, how can Jesus make me straight? One who has been so crooked all my life, one filled with such misunderstanding, one filled with so much sin. Our sin seems to, to have the upper hand in defining how powerful grace is. We look within and we say, I'm so sinful. Surely God's grace can't reach me. That's looking at God's grace through the lens of our sin. But now God says tonight, you need to look at my grace through the lens of who Jesus is. We need to look to the hands of Christ now, to those pierced hands, which He lays 
and the sinner who comes to him. Those pierced hands that have subdued the power of your and my sin believer in the cross. Let's never define the power of grace based on our sin and our crooked unbelief. But let us always be careful to define the power of grace based on who Christ is. He makes the crooked straight through His compassionate look, through His compassionate words, through His compassionate touch. Does He not remind you of that again this coming Lord's Day? That He comes so very low to speak to all of our senses that we can see, that we can touch, that we can smell, that we can taste, that He is compassionate, that He is the Savior. But then finally, this powerful compassion is radiated through a compassionate confirmation. Jesus heals this woman. He reverses her pitiful condition. And this speaks to His powerful compassion to change your heart this evening. It speaks to His care for those bowed down with spiritual burdens that He can lift them. It speaks to His desire to confirm the weak in faith as true sons and daughters of Abraham. That's what He does for this woman. In verse 16, Jesus describes her as being a daughter of Abraham. This is not merely a reference to her nationality as one who was descended from Abraham according to the flesh. When Jesus speaks of her as a daughter of Abraham, He designates her as a daughter of Abraham according to the promise, the promise of the covenant made with Abraham. Jesus is referring to her spiritual identity. She's no longer a woman who is crooked and bowed down and in bondage to Satan. She is free, a daughter of the free woman. Through the powerful compassion of Christ, she is now one of Abraham's seed. She possesses the inward spiritual reality of faith in Christ and His promises. It was not the mere outward conformity and carrying on the Jewish religious traditions that designates one a true offspring of Abraham. In a sense, this designation is a rebuke to the ruler of the synagogue as he tried to get people to conform to the, to the law of God, as they boasted of their descendancy from Abraham, the physical seed of Abraham. But Jesus rebukes that thinking. It's not our physical lineage that will bring us into the kingdom. It's only those who possess the inward reality of faith in Christ as heirs of the promise. This is what Jesus seeks to confirm for this woman. That's what He seeks to confirm tonight for those who seek life in Him. He confirms it through His Word tonight. Confirms it through His sacrament on the Lord's Day. For those who cast themselves in His compassion alone, that you are indeed a son or a daughter of Abraham. This too is an encouragement for struggling souls. Perhaps you look within again and you fail to see anything. You lose hope. But listen to the words of Jesus. Though your faith is like the grain of a mustard seed, those who have weak faith are still sons and daughters of Abraham because that faith connects you to Christ who is the substance of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Abraham's offspring according to the promise. Don't let sin and Satan have the upper hand in defining your identity tonight. But listen carefully, cling tightly to Jesus and His compassion. Lean there. He will never fail. You see, He makes the crooked straight and confirms the same by reminding us we have a new identity 
that when we are loosed from the bonds of Satan, we've exchanged one kingdom for another. It's irreversible because of what Christ has done to fulfill that covenant. But then finally, there's this powerful compassion over against the pitiful condition. But that powerful compassion ends in a pointed correction. That's our third and last thought tonight. Jesus heals and he shows compassion on his woman, on this woman, but he also gives a pointed correction to the synagogue ruler who is who is a tool in the hand of the devil and hindering the woman and others from, from coming to Jesus for his straightening power. Jesus' correction is aimed at burdensome legalism. Verse 14, we read about that legalism that Jesus hates. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. What does burdensome legalism do? It elevates man's law above mercy's law. It limits mercy to man's interpretation of when and how God should work. Come in the first six days of the week to be healed. Don't come on the Sabbath. Because there's laws that are made for the Sabbath that prohibit what Jesus has done here. Limits mercy. Demands interpretation of when and how God should work. It limits, actually, doesn't it? God's sovereignty. So often legalism claims to exalt the sovereignty of God. But what it actually does is it limits the gracious and merciful sovereignty of God. Compassionate mercy breaks the bonds of legalism. It takes the crookedness of spiritual bondage and its limits. And it says tonight, mercy is always available. That's how Jesus responds to the synagogue ruler's statement. There are six days in which men ought to work. And them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Legalism, you see, pushes needy sinners away with anger. But mercy draws them near and says, come. It draws sinners to the Word and a touch of Christ in the Gospel. Legalism makes the law a burden. You can't be healed on the Sabbath. Mercy shows the grace of the law. The Sabbath surely is the day of mercy. Yes, also this coming Sabbath, this coming Lord's Day. Now is the day of mercy. But also when the Lord's Supper is served and administered, it's also the day of mercy where Christ shows Himself to be a compassionate Savior. And He rebukes the limitations of His grace that we impose on Him and upon others. Jesus' correction is aimed at this legalism, but it's also aimed at this blatant hypocrisy that's on display here. Jesus holds nothing back in correcting this ruler of the synagogue in verse 15. The Lord then answered him. You notice how Luke speaks of Jesus here. It's not just Jesus, it's the Lord. The one who has authority over the Sabbath. The one who has authority to interpret the law and to apply the law and to reveal the mercy and the grace of the law. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and, and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus does several things in this exchange with the synagogue's ruler. He shows the two-facedness of religious hypocrisy. It says one thing and does another. 
Pastor Vanderswag pointed out Sunday evening that a hypocrite is one who is literally an actor, two-faced. The actor would put on one mask and play that role. He would take the mask off and put on another mask and play that role. A hypocrite is two-faced. Says one thing, but does another. Imposes one thing and prevents another. Allows the care of animals, but denies acts of mercy for the image bearers of God. Jesus points out the hypocrisy of this man's sham of a law-keeping. Jesus does the same tonight for those who are staking their eternal destiny on their own law-keeping. In no uncertain terms, he calls you a hypocrite. Severe mercy to get you out of yourself and into Christ. To be consistent in your reliance upon Christ for salvation and not upon yourself. Jesus points out that hypocrisy. Jesus elevates this woman in his act of mercy above the care of animals. If you can care for animals, he says, surely the least in the kingdom should be cared for in mercy. Jesus redefines what the Sabbath is intended for. Jesus shows who is actually the true seed of Abraham, not the blind hypocrite who claims physical descendant, descendancy from Abraham, but the one who was crooked and was now made straight. Jesus shows who has the power to release from bondage. The hypocrite can only loose his animal. But it is Jesus who looses from spiritual bondage. It is Jesus who provides true freedom. Jesus points out the true reason for the Sabbath. It's to show mercy. With that in view, look ahead to the next Lord's Day, to communion. Surely next Lord's Day will be nothing less than a display of mercy for crooked sinners in need of being made straight. And Jesus' correction has a dual result, a twofold result. First, it shames his adversaries. He stands here as the advocate of this woman. He defends her in the, in the face of blatant hypocrisy and this burdensome legalism that the ruler of the synagogue was trying to impose on the people. Verse 17 we read, and when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. He shames them into silence. He points out the sin of their hearts. His enemies have nothing to answer him. And so tonight, we're called to be careful in how you judge others. Knowing that Jesus will protect his own, he will stand up for them. Here is comfort for those who have been assaulted by others, by those who have been questioned by others, by those who have been written off, by those who are hypocrites and self-righteous. Comfort that Jesus is your advocate. He will silence your enemies. He will shame them because of who He is. But His correction also leads to rejoicing. And all the people rejoiced for all the things that were done by Him. The releasing of this woman from bondage. The physically straightening of this woman so she could walk upright again. A spiritual picture of what he does to make us upright again to serve God. 
let's not forget what Jesus does in his rebuke. That this too is cause for rejoicing. They rejoiced that the crooked was made straight. This woman was made straight. The crooked laws of the Pharisees and of the scribes was made straight again. So Jesus gets to the heart of what it means to worship Him on the Sabbath day. They viewed, the people did. They viewed this for what it really was, a glorious thing done by Jesus. The woman glorified God, and the people glorified God. You see, how we respond to Jesus' straightening work will reveal our relationship to Him. There's two responses to what Jesus does here in this passage. The one stands on the sidelines and criticizes and judges and imposes and blocks either ourselves or sinners, other sinners, from mercy. Does that describe you tonight? Can I persuade you? Or rather, can Jesus persuade you to leave your post of criticism, of judgmentalism, and realize what you need for your own soul? To realize that with whatever standard of judgment you judge, others with, you will be judged by God Himself. Come down, my friend, from the place of pride. Jesus makes the crooked straight, even hypocrites, that they have one face, a face that is transformed by this compassionate power of Christ. Or will you rejoice at the display of powerful compassion that makes the crooked straight? Realizing what you need in Jesus, you rejoice in Him alone. You recognize that you can't make yourself straight, but that Jesus can. You come to Jesus again. When you come to the table, what is it that you will confess, believer? Not how good you are, but how good Christ is. How powerfully compassionate Christ is. That's what we need to confess. And if you know this straightening grace in your own life. And you know of someone who's crooked, who's bowed down in this church family, maybe in your own family. Will you encourage them to flee to the compassionate Savior who makes the crooked straight? You see, he takes the conflict of our hearts and he intends to bring comfort tonight to those who are troubled so you rest in him again. So you confess, I'm crooked, but he makes me straight. It's on that basis that I will come. It's on that basis that I come and confess my need for ongoing grace, for Jesus to continue straightening me. So we go from strength to strength until one day we will see Jesus. Receive us into glory 
and we'll be perfectly straight. My friend, come. Come to Jesus, the one who makes the crooked straight. Amen. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee for the Gospel. We thank Thee for the Savior who receives sinners. The one who makes the crooked straight. The one who sees us in our pitiful condition, assaulted, broken, bowed down, burdened, Thou dost see us taking notice, speaking, touching, reminding us that even in the supper Thou art doing this, not just with the hands that touched this woman, but with pierced hands, healing the souls of those who confess that their only hope is in Christ alone. So, Lord, let this message, let thy word bring comfort and strength and courage and joy to those who are bowed down, that Christ would be all and in all. We ask this for his sake. Amen. Sing 280 verses 3 and 4, and then our doxology is 197. 283 and 4.
receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Thank you.